But she fought hard and long about having anybody. She didn't want anybody cleaning. She didn't want anybody cooking. She didn't want meals on wheels. She wanted to maintain her independence. She wanted to drive, and she was a terrible driver. So all of that means that you have to then confront your parent. I had to confront my mother, as did my sisters, and explain to them why we were concerned. And that's not an easy conversation to have. Finding a way of backing off and letting her express what she wanted and how she felt and being more gentle instead of saying, Mom, why is the, the TV's on 56? It's so loud in here. Where are your hearing aids? And, and getting all upset because the house was reverberating and then worrying because how is she going to hear the doorbell? How is she going to hear if there's a crash or something happens? Hi, this is Michael with Educate, and on today's podcast, I am here with Dr. Jackie Booth. Uh, Jackie, thanks so much for coming and being on our podcast. My pleasure. So Jackie, by, by way of introduction, you are a professional educator uh, with uh, decades of experience in various topics. You have a PhD in instructional design, and I find this to be an interesting story. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what your PhD was on? Oh, my PhD was on how kids learn from non-educational cartoons. So I was looking at what, if, if a cartoon has specific content, how do kids take that content in and how do they use it as part of their learning, informal learning. And there was a, a particular show that you narrowed in on. Rugrats. Rugrats was my, my show, and I watched every single episode and analyzed every single episode to test kids' ability to remember details. N not the typical way that no. PhDs spend their time. <laughs> No, it was unusual, but very fun and uh, a lot of fun to research and a lot of fun to watch the cartoons. And it was a, it was a really great project. Yeah. And, and so that instructional design experience you have uh, brings you to us as our director of content. Can you say a little bit about what you've done for Educate and uh, how you are compiling the information and, and education that we deliver to our users? Sure. Um, I spent a lot of time in my career in financial education and working with teachers, working with students, working with young adults, working with graduate students, helping them to understand basic concepts of financial education and how that applies to their lives. And so when I met up with Chris Whitlow, um, and he started describing to me his platform of educate and all the things that he was going to do and in reducing stress and provide uh, employers the opportunity to present material to their employees. It was just a, a match made in heaven, and I was really happy to be able to bring my years of experience and my interest to educate. Well, uh, I personally love having you on our team, and, and I'm glad you're here today. Uh, one last thing before we kind of dive into today's topic. Um, where did you just come from? I just came from a hip-hop dance class. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I understand that this is a new uh, expedition or, oh, or interest yes. of yours. Yes. I, I've had a dancing background, tap and ballet, but I saw this hip-hop dance class, and I thought, oh, that sounds fun. And so now I'm learning about new music, new moves. I'm with a much younger audience than I am, of course. And it's scary every single time I go, but I love it, and I think it's really good for my brain. And you said you've actually come to like a lot of the music. Um, I wouldn't say love the music, but I like the beat of the music. The words are a little distressing at times. I'm not quite used to that part of it. But um, some interesting, interesting music and musicians. Yeah, well, uh, all of that together uh, makes you one of my favorite people. And uh, <laughs> again, you. glad glad you're here today. So uh, today, I think um, 
what we want to talk about is something that uh, I've learned a lot about from you. Uh, it's something that you've contributed uh, content to- towards our platform about, and and obviously something that you've experienced uh, and have a lot to say about. So aging parents, caring for your parents or your family as they get older. Can you say a little bit about your childhood and your parents and how you grew up and how they lived eventually leading into becoming older and and needing to be cared for? Sure. Um, I was really fortunate. I had a leave it to beaver childhood, lived in a great neighborhood in, in Orem, Utah, um, you know, very typical in one sense that my dad went to work and my mother stayed home, although she had a dance studio in our basement. And we had, I had grandparents, two grandmothers who lived with us for short periods of time, and I thought they were ancient. Uh, they're younger, they are younger than I am right now, but I thought they were ancient at the time. But my grandparents died quite young, and so they were in my life until I was about 15, and then they were gone. So I didn't really have a long-term experience with them, but I've been very close to my parents. My mother is still alive at age 92, and she's the one who dragged me kicking and screaming into this whole arena of how to change from being a child to being an adult child of a parent who is failing, which is a whole other realm of life that I had no idea how to handle or what, that it even existed. Before we get into the specifics of your experience and the things you've learned, is there anything we should know about the history of, of caregiving, the way that society has changed and, and how that contributes to um, some of the, the struggles and difficulties you know, with aging parents today? Yes, um, that, that's really interesting. One of the things my mother always said when I would say, oh, well, we've got to get extra services, mom, or you need help with this, she would say things like, well, I guess I'm just going to the poorhouse, which I guess was, was a terrible, horrible image in her mind. I had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, I pictured something from Charles Dickens' era. Or she would say, why don't you just throw me on the meat wagon? I had no idea what that was either. But she had this huge fear of going to a home, going to a nursing home, and that that was just the end of the line. And Having her constantly say that made me think that's what they were all were like until I started looking into what the options were and the different kinds of care options that are available for families today. Can you speak to uh, what some of those care options are and, and, the, and the categories that we should be thinking about? Well, first of all, there are so many new businesses that are devoted to this area because we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day in this country. That's a lot. Not that 65 is old, but there are people who have continuing health problems that get exacerbated at that age. And we have a large population of people who are over 90 now, which we have never had uh, in the history of the country. Uh, Actually, this is a worldwide problem, not just the United States. So because of that, there is a proliferation of businesses, different kinds of businesses to take care of some of the needs. And the first thing they start with is options for home in-home care, where you can have people come and help you with housekeeping. You can have people help with cooking, going to the grocery store, taking you to the doctor, doing some of the things that you could do on your own maybe previously, but now they're very difficult. So there are a lot of in-home options, as well as having certified nursing assistants come to the house uh, at a pretty, you know, reduced rate um, for so many hours a day or so many hours a week or so many hours a month. So there are all kinds of options that these senior care places have. If you look at the advertising in newspapers, and that'll tell you something about the age of the readership of newspapers, there's a preponderance of ads for these senior care 
places, options that are in-house, because the first thing everybody wants to do is stay home. It's called aging in place. So there are a lot of services for that. Nanny care, granny nanny, different, different names, but they all do the same kind of thing. And then there are lots of different places for seniors to grow old in. And those are everything from retirement communities that, that are almost like a college campus um, in the amount of amenities that are offered and you live independently and you can drive a golf cart around or a car or whatever to going into some kind of assisted living where you have people who are checking on you and you have meals together and you have nurses on staff and that kind of thing to long-term care where you're actually cared for by nurses and you pretty much live in a small room in your bed and somebody takes care of you 24-7. So you, you mentioned a little bit about the fears that your mother communicated about what uh, what her fears were in, in getting older. How were those I- expressed and, and what were the challenges that came because of that and then how did you overcome them? Well, it was probably one of the most emotionally difficult steps that I've been through in my life because, first of all, it's it's really hard to watch your parent age, and you see the struggles they're having. In the case of my mother, she fell several times, broke, her, broke both hips, had several surgeries. She was afraid of, of walking, and for good reason. She was not taking her medication properly, so she was often ill. We were taking her to the doctor all the time. And it was just very stressful watching her go downhill and her refusing to have any kind of help. Uh, she, she was okay having my sisters and I there, but we had our own families, our own children, our own households, our own grandchildren, um, our jobs. It was really difficult to manage a schedule of having her covered all the time. We even had a video camera in the house, so we just like you have a baby monitor, so we could make sure she was okay on the times we couldn't be there. But she fought hard and long about having anybody. She didn't want anybody cleaning. She didn't want anybody cooking. She didn't want meals on wheels. She wanted to maintain her independence. She wanted to drive, and she was a terrible driver. So all of that means that you have to then confront your parent. I had to confront my mother, as did my sisters, and explain to them why we were concerned. Um, And that's not an easy conversation to have. That's harder than the birds and the bees conversation, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, so so one of the things that you've you've taught and, and wrote is there comes a time, whether it's at the level or at the, the stage of um, uh, intervention that you had to have with your mother uh, or before, where you have to have a talk with your parents, whether it's preventative or, or preparatory or an intervention. What does that talk need to consist of? What does it need to accomplish? And like you said, how do you overcome the the difficulty of of having that kind of talk with the people who who birthed and raised you? Oh, it's really hard because there's so much emotion in it. You you want to take care of them and you want to make the decisions and you feel like you know what's best for them. And it was very easy. I made this mistake many times of thinking I knew best. I knew best what, what she needed. I knew about all the services. I knew I could see looking around the house what she needed to be safe. And she just refused to acknowledge them. And so finding a way of backing off and letting her express what she wanted and how she felt and being more gentle about instead of saying 
Mom, why is the, the TV's on 56? It's so loud in here. Where are your hearing aids? And, and getting all upset because the house was reverberating with, with noise and then worrying because how is she going to hear the doorbell? How is she going to hear if there's a crash or something happens? How is she going to hear anything? And taking a big step back and saying, this is her life. It's not my life. And trying to be gentle about it and asking questions rather than telling her. That was the biggest problem. And I guess it comes from being a teacher in some regards, but that was a very hard lesson for me. So if I had to give somebody advice, the first thing I would say is start early and just ask questions like, do you feel safe? You know, is there anything that scares you at night? Or can you hear the doorbell? Um, would you like us to get some headphones so you can hear the television better? You know, let them know their options, which, which they probably have no idea there are, to help make their lives easier. If you start with that rather than this is what you should do, I think you have a much better chance of having them be part of this decision. Okay, so... With all of these things being true, would I be correct in saying that no matter how prepared you think you are, how much of a grasp you think you have on the situation, that the costs are surprising? Oh, the costs. Everybody's surprised by the costs. Um, you know, to get to get in-care, in-home services, well, I think if anybody's ever hired a cleaning person, you know that's expensive. First, let's start with that. And then when you start adding people and they have to come in for four hours a day and and you have to pay the agency on top of that, and that can be 60 to $80 for a few hours a day. And then you go to assisted living, which is um, around 2000 average um, a month, to long-term care, which can be anywhere from 9000 to $20,000 a month. Wow. A month. And those are expenses that most parents have not saved you know, most people don't have in their savings account or have even thought about how they're going to do it. Maybe that's part of the fear that aging parents have. How on earth am I going to pay for this? So you mentioned that right now there are roughly 10,000 people a day, boomers, who are turning 65 every day. I am younger and my parents are um, just below 50. They'll be 50 in a year or two. What practical advice would you give to someone whose parents are maybe closer to needing this kind of uh, help or, or making these plans? Uh, and then also to someone like me, uh, who ha is younger and it's not quite as immediate, but what preparations could I be making? Well, I'm going to start with the younger group because um, this is brand new information because nobody talks to you when you're in your 20s and 30s about your parents becoming old. It's hard. You're kind of just launching yourself, and it's really hard to think of them and the, the things that they might need down the road unless they have a, a disease already or have some debilitating physical effect. But to start to collect documents, to start to take care of your own documents, for example, I don't know how many of you have uh, millennials have their own birth certificate, have uh, all the information that they're supposed to have about themselves. Do they have a health directive? You could be killed in an accident just as well as somebody older, and you could be debilitated in an accident, and, and who's in charge of you? You could have assets. You probably have assets. Almost everybody has some kind of assets. Have you taken care of your assets? Have you purchased any life insurance or long-term insurance, or have you looked into health care policies that can grow with you as you age? yourself. Even though it's hard to think about aging at 20 and 30, it if you're lucky, it'll happen to you. 
So getting control of your documents, getting control of all the things that you need, and there are many, this health directive, power of attorney, some way of, of delineating your assets, whether it's a will or it's just a written down document. Getting control of that is, is really critical. And savings. I uh, can't talk about savings enough. When I tell you that it could be $20,000 a month to take care of your parents, or imagine what it's going to cost when you're at that stage, and maybe everything will change. Um, one thing about healthcare, it changes all the time. But counting on that it's going to be expensive to take care of people as they get old and as they have different kinds of frailties. Then when you fast forward to people who are in their 40s and 50s and beyond, and if they're lucky enough to have active, healthy parents, great. But again, they have got to get control of these documents, not only their own, now they need to also make sure their parents are in good order. And so taking care of any assets, if they have significant assets, then you need to go to an estate planning attorney. Um, you need to definitely go to an attorney to take care of some of the legal documents, financial power of attorney, that type of thing. Um, you can get health directives at the doctor. But starting to familiarize yourself with what medicines your parents take, what their routines are, what kind of help they have in the way of neighbors, or if they know how to call for help, what kinds of assistive things they might need in the house, and what's available. Just kind of Opening up your antenna to look and see what's out there is a great step when you're in your 40s and 50s. So what role does Medicare play in all of this? Because I, I know that maybe there's some misconceptions, but it does cover some of these things or consider some of these things, right? Very few. But yes, uh, that's that's the big surprise. I think when people are not, they're not in their 60s, they don't even think about Medicare. But when you start to get close to 65, which is the age that most people qualify for for Medicare, um, you think, okay, I'm going to be on Medicare, everything's going to be great, I'm going to be taken care of. Well, Medicare pays a tiny portion of your bills. It doesn't pay for your drugs, it doesn't pay for doctor visits, it doesn't pay for in-home health, and it doesn't pay for assisted living or memory care or so many of the other things that people need at this time. So when you counteract what you think you're going to have and what it's actually going to cost, it's a very scary number. And there are some lucky, lucky people who have plenty of money and are not going to worry about this. They can hire full-time care at home, which is everybody's dream. But the reality is that most people can't afford that. And so trying to figure out what Medicare will cover and then all the different kinds of insurances and options that you can purchase. One of the biggest surprises to me was how great the Medicare website is. Um, it's funny because we, we often laugh about, oh, it's government, so it can't be good. But the United States government has great websites about aging, about the programs for aging, and about Medicare and Social Security and how all those things work together that are very instructive and easy to follow. And the other surprising thing is they will actually schedule a, an appointment on the phone to talk to you. So you spoke a little earlier about the emotional aspects of having the conversation with your parents, about seeing your parents decline. This obviously isn't the most happy or joyful conversation to have. But at Educate, our creed and mantra is that um, you can be doing something every day to take proactive steps towards those realities, the financial realities uh, in your life. What have you learned and what emotions have you experienced through, through this process that 
can be confronted or proactively worked on uh, no matter what age you are? What, what mindset would you tell people to take in, in being proactive about making these steps? Well, the first one is to remember that your parents are adults. And again, respecting that and having patience because realizing that you're failing and realizing that you're aging is something that you know most people try to ignore, all of us try to ignore, until it hits us. And then it's very frightening. And trying to look at it from another person's perspective, from your parents' perspective, is really, really difficult because you're used to them taking care of you. You're used to them asking you, how are you? What can I do to help you? And now all of a sudden it's reversed. There's also a big feeling of loss. One of the things that has really made me feel sad many times is that I've kind of lost my mother. I mean, she's still alive. She's in a long-term care facility, and she's got excellent care, and she is making the most of it. I'm so proud of her. But I've lost her as a confidant. I've lost her as an advisor um, because she's really not interested, and she's, she's kind of consumed with taking care of herself in her own little tiny world. And that's, here she is still with us, and I'm thrilled that she is, but we've had a very different change in our, the dynamics of our relationship, and that's, that's been sad. So I've tried to overcome that by being optimistic and trying to think of things in advance that I can do with her and say with her and enjoy with her so that we have some memories now and not just from when I was a little girl or when I was a young adult or, you know, five years ago. So I think that's really important, understanding you have to have a lot of patience and then being able to take the loss. As far as every day, this has been a real wake-up call for me. My sisters and I have talked a lot about we want to go away somewhere, just the three of us, and live in a house together, and we don't want to burden our children. We don't want our children, you know, having to worry and scramble and go through everything we just went through. We talk about that, but then on the other hand, we, it's it's part of life, and, and it's the circle of life like Lion King, and you just can't say, well, I'm just going to go off into the sunset like Thelma and Louise and, and just leave them behind and not, not make them worry about it. We are in this together as a family. And realizing that every day, you want to do something so that you're prepared for the future. If your future is getting a better job, saving more money, getting your documents all in a, in a row, those are things that you can do at, at one age, at another age. It's making sure you have enough retirement, that you have investigated yourself and thought about what you want. I'm at the stage where I'm. that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking, what is it I would like to do? If something happened to me and I had to be in a facility, what, what would I want that facility to do? What kind of options would I like? And then having that conversation with my children, which I haven't had. All I've told them is, you know, put a pillowcase over my head if I'm too much trouble. But I think it's important to broach the subject and to think about it and look around you because there are aging people everywhere. We're not going away and we all have to be prepared to take care of this together. Well, Jackie, before knowing you and talking about this subject with you, this is never the uh, the course I would have clicked on or the, the article I would have read, but it has serious implications for all of us. And it's something that informing ourselves about will better our lives, better our parents' lives. So thank you for coming here today and sharing with us. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. For more information and resources on aging parents, 
visit our website at educate.com aging. There, you'll find a one-page document with actionable steps that you can take today, download a full course on aging parents, including care options and financial decisions, and find websites with additional resources and information. Again, that's educate.com aging. Thanks for listening to Subject to Change. We want to hear from you. If you have a financial story you'd like to share or a question you'd like answered, call and leave us a voicemail at 407-706-8499 or submit a question via the Anchor app. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a production of Educate, a financial wellness platform for the workforce. I'm Michael Schumann. Today's guest was Dr. Jackie Booth. We'll have a new episode out in two weeks, and we'll see you then.